All right, y'all. Well, hey, go ahead. Keep finding your way towards a seat. Man, I am so excited to be with you guys. It's been, been a little bit since I've had the privilege of coming and hanging out, but my name is John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. And just as my friend Jonathan said, wherever you are as regards to faith, my prayer is that one, you know Jesus Christ. You believe him is true, that he's kind, he's good, he's loving, and he wants to help you. But man, if you're here and you're wrestling with the whole idea of a God, really glad you're here. We're gonna start this time with some prayer and then we're gonna jump into it. Father, I thank you for the chance to come and remind ourselves of you. God, would you do what only you can do and that's change hearts. Would you please, would you help me to look more like you? Would you help us to look more like you? Um, God, I'd ask that you would come and as folks are here wrestling with faith, you'd change hearts. You'd lead people to know you in a way that only you can. But you would, you'd use your church, your people to be strengthened and to be mobilized. If you would, guys, just where you're sitting, if you have a faith, if you would, please just take 10 seconds and pray that God would use this time in your life. If you would, please take another 10 seconds and pray for me. Pray that I would be helpful and useful to God. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the privilege of this. It is in your name that we pray, amen. Well, part of the reason that I haven't had the chance to come and, and stand up here in the regular way is we've been doing some really exciting stuff here at the Springs. We've really been focusing on what we call external focus. How do we go, and as people who have been loved and changed by God, how do we go and serve others? Not because we have to, but because we get to. Not because we should, but because that's exactly what he did for us. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege, I went down to Peru, went down, spent some time with a place there called Peru Mission, looking at them as a potential international partner for us, a place who has the same vision, same heart, same mission to make disciples, and who's getting after it down there in a place called Trujillo, Peru. We'll, we'll talk more about them in the future, but man, one of the things that I love when I went down to that trip is I got to see another group of believers in a totally different context, just getting after it. It's this place where they come and they do church plans. They do a seminary. They have a clinic, which they would call a hospital. We would call a clinic. They have schools. They have microfinance. They have this whole ecosystem of sustainable support to literally reach in through relationships to the generations of these Peruvians and to pull them up through health, through redignified, getting to know one another neighbors. It's this beautiful thing. I went and I learned, I went down there with a member of ours, his name's Thor. We went nonstop looking at different things. But the last afternoon, we kind of had this free time. We'd seen everything. We had this free time. There was this time set apart. And we went to these ruins, right? There was this civilization of indigenous peoples there in Peru. They were called the Mochi people. We went down there and I got to see ruins. It's the first time I'd ever seen anything like this. I got to see these ruins, pictured just like a massive adobe bricks, these massive different temples that had been built, and we got to go tour them. It was called, and I'm going to probably butcher the pronunciation, so if you're Latino, I'm sorry, I'm trying, right? It's called La Huaca del Sol y la Luna. That actually worked out better than I thought it was going to, right? Come on, yeah, let's go eat tacos after this. No, I'm kidding, tacos are not from Peru. That shows how uncultured I am. 
right? But no, it was, we went and we looked at it and you got to see it, this beautiful thing, and you get to go check it out and we start walking in there and I start to learn about it. These people, and they existed before Christ, and I think really they were conquered, I think about the fourth century after Christ, right? But they were there and they worshiped a God. This God needed his own PR team, right? Because here's what's his name, the decapitator God. There was pictures of him everywhere, the decapitator God. And you'd think that what would go along with the decapitator God would be some brutal things, and guess what? It did, right? So one of the ways that they would worship is they had this massive black rock built into this temple. And they would come, and they would have two warriors that would come forward. These warriors would then fight, not to the death, right? And there'd be a winner, and there would be a loser, right? And guess what happened? One of them became the human sacrifice. You can imagine how they were sacrificed with a decapitator God, right? They became the human sacrifice as they were attempting to appease the God of the sun and attempting to appease the God of the moon. Here's the most fascinating part, though. You know who became the sacrifice between the two? The winner. It wasn't even like some gladiatorial, you're fighting for your life. No, you were fighting for the privilege to be the sacrifice. They wanted it. All throughout these ruins, they found these human bones. And it was amazing because I'm walking around there and I'm talking with my friend and the guy who's leading the mission. I'm asking all about it. And I said these things. I said the first thing. I was like, man, that's crazy. Human sacrifice? That's ridiculous. And immediately, like if you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you probably know where this is going, right? Immediately I realized, oh wait, my entire faith hinges on the death of God's son. That's sacrifice. That was the first thought that came to me. Okay, I'm a little foolish. But the second thing that really struck me was how these people, as they came and they worshiped the decapitator God, they literally fought for the privilege to be a sacrifice. They fought for the privilege to be a sacrifice. And I remember thinking about that then, and I kind of put it out of my mind up until I read the text today. Like where we're gonna be in Philippians chapter two, because the apostle Paul, he, he's gonna share something with you, he's gonna share something with me, that honestly, if you don't believe in Jesus, it's just ridiculous. If you don't believe in Jesus, it's just crazy. Because here's what he's gonna say, as followers of Christ, right? Because if you grew up in church, you, you've heard this or you've known this. Christians were called to live sacrificially. Sacrificially generous, sacrificially kind, sacrificially patient, sacrificially supportive, right? Sacrificially. But what Paul's going to say, something that clicked in my heart, and I'd heard it before, but something that clicked in my heart this week is Christians, we don't just live sacrificially. We are a sacrifice. Like, just, just stay with me here. Christians don't just live sacrificially. We are are a sacrifice. Like any English lit teachers or grammar people, sacrificially, that's an adverb, right? A sacrifice, it's a noun. It's a statement of identity. It comes with this whole determined purpose and meaning. And y'all track with that? Not just sacrificially. It's not just parts of you. It's not just aspects of your life. If you're a believer, it's your whole life. You want to know what's true of sacrifices, right? And, and, and it starts heavy. You know what's true of sacrifices? In a way, they are born to die. 
Here's what I mean by that. A sacrifice doesn't come with an entitlement or an expectation of what is there for them. Like once you know that, there's the realization of I am here to sacrifice. And here's why I think that 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 changes so much of things. What if we, like if you're here and you believe in Jesus, what if we like viewed ourselves as not just believer in Christ, child of God, forgiven and free, adopted by the king, but one of the identity statements that we claimed, sacrifice. Not just parts of me, but my life. Not just aspects, not just categories. All of me. And the beautiful part is there's a sacrifice named Jesus who he did it all. And because of that, we just, we just follow him. But that's the part where I was reading this because I'd heard, maybe some of you, you know the verses like Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, same author who wrote Organacy. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I've heard that so many times. I've memorized that before, right? There's, a, there's another verse, and these are all throughout your Bible, right, where it talks about believers. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. From one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. You know what aroma is a reference to? the scent, almost incense, that would come off of sacrificial offerings throughout the Old Testament. We are meant to be the incense of God as a sacrifice. There was a verse I was thinking about even before I came right up here. There's this promise about before the second coming of Christ where it tells what Christians should do, where it says, hey, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting on these, since you're waiting for Jesus to come, live without blemish. Blemish language is Peter specifically connecting to Old Testament sacrifices. Guys, here's what I'm saying. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a sacrifice. You are a sacrifice to God, and you're a sacrifice for others. And and the reason, to my shame, like I'd heard that, I'd known that, but it never clicked in my heart the reality of this is who I am. This is God's intention. And every time you live according to the will of God, you're not going to go to some gladiatorial battle between two warriors besides a rock where someone's decapitated. That's not it. But what does happen is when you follow him, there can be both wonderful days and difficult moments, tragic moments. But if you live in the reality of, I don't just live sacrificially, I'm a sacrifice, it changes the direction of it all. We're going to see three men who grasp that, that they don't just live sacrificially. They were sacrifices. And we're going to see their example as they are just put forward as models of this. Where we're going to be studying today, it's Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 17 all the way down through 30. We're going to finish the second chapter today. And the three men we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the apostle Paul and how he was a drink offering poured out. Then we're going to talk about Timothy, who was an elder. Timothy, we're going to talk about how there was no one like him. And then we're going to talk about Epaphroditus. It's just going to say, honor men such as these. So that's where we'll be. Before we jump into the passage, though, I want to set up a little bit where we were before. Paul, he just told you and he told me and earlier, just right before this in chapter 2. He says, here's what believers are supposed to do. They're supposed to stand out. We're supposed to be different. Language we used was not in self-righteousness looking down on other people but in sincere righteousness. People who've actually been changed, we are supposed to shine as lights 
in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. It's this visual for looking at a starry night sky with darkness as the backdrop. Followers of Jesus should pop. We should stand out. And then right out of that context, the first thing he's going to go to is we're going to talk about how you and I were sacrifices. So hey, if you have a Bible, turn with me. We are in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read first 17 through 18, and then we'll stop there before we take on the rest. Even if, this is the Apostle Paul talking, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice. Sorry, lost my, pay, lost my place. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I'm going to spend some time reading in that, and I know it's like a strange Sunday where we're talking about sacrifice, but it's amazing what Paul said. Right? The first thing we're going to see is we don't just live sacrificially. We are a sacrifice. The first person we're going to talk about is Paul. And now he, he was a drink offering. The first thing that you see there is Paul. He talks about himself poured out as a drink offering. Here's what he means by that. In the Old Testament, there's a sacrificial system for the atonement of sins. It pointed to one day when Jesus Christ would die for my sins and your sins. And because his death was perfect, he atoned once for all. Every bit of the brokenness in your life, past, present, future. If you believe in Jesus Christ, all of your brokenness was attributed to him on the cross. He paid the penalty for it. That's why Christians, God doesn't come and demand that we work harder, try to be better, be a better version of ourselves, where we don't cuss, we, we, we don't like, we're not just greedy people, right? We're not mean to our kids. That's just behavior modification. Like Christians are changed by what they believe. And that's what this sacrificial system pointed to. But Paul, he's picking up on this language where he's saying, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering, what you would have done is you would have taken an animal of some type to the priest that would have been sacrificed, right? They would have slayed the animal, laid it on an altar, and went to burn the animal as incest up to God. And what they did is you could have a drink offering where you took a glass of nice wine and they poured it on the altar as another form of sacrifice. Paul's literally saying here, hey, even if my life, I'm just the wine in the cup, I'm with it. And then he talks about too, because he's writing this letter to this church in Philippi, and he says, what, the way he describes them, poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. You know what was true of not just Paul living as a sacrifice? He said to that church in Philippi, you guys are sacrifices too. Because you gotta remember, what's our intention? We are here to live for the glory of God and the good of others, that's our intention. That's why we exist. That is why you are on this planet. That is why you still have breath in your lungs. Do we go and take kids to soccer and baseball and make sure they study for the SAT? Do we go and date and have fun and watch the new Avengers movie? Yes, we do all of that. But what matters most? What do we give our life to? What is the eternal significance that sincerely matters? God, did I grow in a love for you? Really? And did I help others do the same. Both Paul and the people of God, he calls a sacrifice. The amazing thing there is then he says, I rejoice in this. He celebrates it. And then it's like he's coaching you and me. 
right? It's like he leans into our lives knowing that we're all going to be like, sacrifice? That's like creepy and weird, and it doesn't fully connect in 21st century American culture. I don't know if I really like that idea, Paul. But he leans in, and then he says, hey, you too, likewise, should rejoice in this. The part where I think that this matters so much is for the longest time, I kind of viewed the Apostle Paul as just this like super Christian, this super saint kind of out on his own, right? Where here's what's true. He had the same Holy Spirit that you do if you believe in Jesus. He had the same mission that you do as Jesus. He wasn't loved more by God. But he was a sacrifice. And then all the people he wrote to, they were a sacrifice, a sacrificial offering. Like, I think that's crazy because imagine if your life sincerely, like the identity statement of what if you didn't just do things sacrificially, but what if we were the sacrifice? Think about how that would impact, impact your and my commitment to connecting to get to know God. Think about how that would impact that. Think about how that would impact the conflict I can have with my community group like we here at the Springs, we do community groups where we really live out the one another's of scripture together with each other and we fight for a faithfulness. What if I went to that group every week or when I'm checking in throughout the week and I thought to myself, they are not here for me. I am here for them. I'm the sacrifice. How would that impact our marriages? Like if we came and we said, I'm here for God and for others as a sacrifice, how would that impact the conflict between you and a spouse? You and a roommate. You and your kids. That's why I think it matters so much, or at least for me, man, it just clicked in my head. I don't just do things sacrificially, right? Even though Christians, we do that, right? An overflow of being a sacrifice is you do things sacrificially, but it's not just the outcome. It's the who we are. My wife and I, we're excited in January. We'll welcome uh, a baby boy. Lord willing. We're so grateful for the privilege of that, and we sincerely do know that it's a privilege. One of the things that we were talking about is just our role as parents, right? We were doing this yesterday as we were driving in the car. We're talking about our role as parents, because how with parent comes the privilege of, hey, one of the things that we know is going to happen in January is all of a sudden, I'm going to be a lot more tired, right? All of a sudden, I'm going to have a lot less free time. All of a sudden, there's going to be a lot less flexibility, all of a sudden, financial resources, we're going to have to add to one more and to get things set up to where we are going to sacrifice. We are going to pay a cost in multiple different areas. And my wife would want me to shout out. She's going to pay most of it. And I'm going to say that. Amen. Right? But there's just this truth where it just comes with, well, I'm a parent. I'm privileged to do it. I'm not going to resent a child. I'm privileged to sacrifice because it comes with the reality of the identity of what comes with a biblical parent and all that God intends. What if we shifted that, though? In the same way we see parent is sacrificial giver. Literally, babies can't give back. All they do is take. Right? But what if as Christians we embrace the identity of I'm the sacrifice. We give. Even if they take, we give. Even if they take, we give. See the language I used through there? It's what Paul started with. Even if. Even if, and, and I wish we could go back and tell the whole story where that comes with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but where, where it really speaks to is 
even if things don't go the way that we want, we know whose we are, child of God, sacrifice sent, and we know what is our intention. We don't just live sacrificially. We are the sacrifice. One example of that is the Apostle Paul. Second example he's going to give is Timothy before he talks to us about Epaphroditus. If you've got a Bible, jump back with me. We're going to read now 19. We're going to read 19 through 24. I love this. So this is Paul talking back to this church in Philippi. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they, he's talking about other Christians who would have cared for Paul, cared for the church there in Rome. That's who he's talking about here. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. One of the things that's coming out of this is we're seeing we don't just live sacrificially, we are the sacrifice. Timothy is a disciple of Paul. He got the same idea as Paul from the reality of we are here to give. We are here to sacrifice. And why I think this gets really exciting, especially as we see here with Timothy, is it talks about how there's no one like him. Right? We'll we'll walk through it in just a second. There's no one like him. It shows there's a difference. One of the things that a lot of people want to be A lot of people want to be, whether you believe in Jesus or you don't, I imagine that if I came to you and I asked, would you like to be philanthropic? People are going to say yes, right? We all have a desire to be philanthropic to to a degree, varying back based on different things. But how many of us is if we come and I ask the question, hey, would you like to be a sacrifice? Timothy embraces that reality and you see that through his life. So here's what's going on in this passage. Paul, he wants to send Timothy back to them because he wants to know, how's the church in Philippi? How are they doing? As he, he gets set to send that, he starts celebrating Timothy. He starts celebrating his faithfulness, how he is genuinely concerned for them. One of the things we learned when we started this book is that this book really starts in Acts 16. The apostle Paul, he goes and he plants, he starts this church in Philippi. When he goes to do it, He has a buddy come with him named Timothy. Timothy is there when Paul leads this gal by the name of Lydia to Christ, and the church begins to grow there in Philippi. Timothy is there when Paul is taken from that group, dragged out into a city square, and beaten with rods. Timothy sees this. Timothy is there when Paul is thrown into jail. Timothy is there when that same night Paul is miraculously freed by the power of God from the jail, leads the jailer to Christ, and then willingly returns back. Timothy is there after Paul is released from the local magistrate saying, hey, we're not going to mess with him. Timothy is there to help start a church in Philippi. Timothy knew the people. He sincerely cared. The second thing that Paul says about him is he goes and he says he was not just concerned with his own interest, but the interests of Christ. You know what sacrifices don't do? They don't put themselves first. Like a sacrifice comes in a realization of, I'm here to serve. I'm here to give. The third thing I love about the sacrifice action is the way he's described, you've seen his proven worth. Here's something that's true, and if you've been in churches for a long time, 
or you haven't, you get why this statement means so much. Proven worth, it's literally saying evidenced of. There's a proverb that I've always appreciated. It's 26. It says, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. It's the modern day way of saying, hey, it's easy to preach, it's hard to practice. It's the modern day way of saying, it's easy to talk the talk, hard to walk the walk. And what was true of Timothy? And not in just word, but in deed. He distinguished himself as someone who genuinely cared, who put the interests of Christ first. Like how often many of us have been in church for a long time where we come and there's this sense of, yes, no, they're, they're coming with me, they're engaging, they're learning about God, but how often do we come and say, dude, they have proven themselves as a sacrifice? Who would say that about you? Who would say that about me? Proven value. The final thing is right there where he talks about Timothy, right? Where, where he's saying he is a servant with me of the gospel. This is another one, man, that I just love. So much of today, it's just about the identity. And if you brace this as who you are, it changes the way that we serve this community. It's why we actually go and give and serve and love. It's because he changed us. He says of Timothy what he says of Paul. He is a servant of the gospel. Some of you may know this. Servant here in the Greek, its, its root word is doulos. means slave. Sometimes it's translated bondservant. What was true of Paul? What was true of Timothy? They counted it a privilege to be considered a slave of God. Does that connect in the same way we would think about 18th century slavery here in America and the brutality, the racism, and the wicked sin of that? No. But it connects in the reality of he is master. I'm servant. He's in charge. Parts of me aren't just sacrificial. My life is the sacrifice. Why does that matter so much? Because, man, that's how we come. And we don't just consider our interests, but the interests of Christ. Uh, MK, she's a children's pastor here with us. She's phenomenal, phenomenal. Last weekend, she went to Baylor. That's where she graduated a couple years ago. She went there. It was Baylor's homecoming, right? Oh, Baylor, by the way, really glad that you guys won yesterday. Happy to see that. 7-0, continuing on. Uh, but she went back to that, and she saw two different things, right? I didn't know any of this. Baylor, they have this big homecoming float parade, right, where she went back and she saw two things. One, this float parade, her sorority had made a float, right? And she can remember when she was in the sorority, she gave time, sweat, energy, money. I guess that's just dues. I don't really know. All this kind of stuff to the sorority to make this float. The theme was based on an arcade. They did this whole thing. She remembers it, and it's forgotten. And then she saw something else. While she was in college, by the grace of God in her life, She'd known Jesus from a few years before through high school. While she's in college, she connected with a local church. And she went and she was a part of a student small group. She had a group of uh, seventh, eighth grade, and then maybe into ninth grade girls, but I think it ended in eighth grade. Well, what did she do? She invested in their lives. At times when she could have gone to the library and studied, she went and connected with them as they tried to think through some boy who broke their heart. At times when she could have gone and hung out with her friends, she went and invested in them while they stopped and they asked the question of, is this really true or is this just something my parents told me? Like in the midst of everything happening for a college student, 
She fought imperfectly, but she fought to say, in this area, man, I'm gonna consider the interest of Christ more. That's, that is sacrifice. Coolest thing she said was she went back, one of her eighth grade girls, she was connecting with her at this, this church's uh, student ministry, right? That girl's gone, fast forward, four years. She's now a senior in high school. And the ministry that MK used to be a part of, that girl is gonna go. And the Sunday night that MK was there, she was gonna teach to the students how to go all in on a relationship with Christ, how it's worth everything. Don't hold back. That don't wait till you're older to come to know him because life is better when you know him. She got to see the fruit of that. Was that because of anything amazing in MK? It's because of the grace of God in her life. But what's true? Where'd that grace flow from? The truth that she didn't just want to live sacrificially, but she's fighting to embrace, still is today. You are, I am. The truth, we are the sacrifice. Let's look at the third guy that the Apostle Paul holds up as an example of this. His name's Epaphroditus. So you may have to turn the page, but we're now we're going to read 25 through 30. 25 through 30. I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He indeed was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So the third example, the Apostle Paul, he's holding up under this theme of we, we don't just live sacrificially. We are the sacrifice. He, he holds up another faithful minister of the gospel, a, a man by the name of Epaphroditus. And what was true of Epaphroditus is what do we do? We honor such men. And what would be true is we honor such women. Here's the beauty of what's happening. Paul, he wanted to send back Epaphroditus. I'll just explain the context. He wanted to send back Epaphroditus because the Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus to him. Right? That was his hometown. He likely had trusted Christ while the Apostle Paul had been there, or as that church grew, he had trusted Christ since. The church in Philippi had heard that Paul was in prison. One of the things that was true in Roman prison is the state doesn't support you. They don't feed you. They don't take care of you. You fundraise that. And the Philippian church heard that their friend and Paul was in prison, and they sent Epaphroditus. We'll learn about this in chapter 4. They sent him with this financial gift to Paul. And they wanted to come and check in on him. So Paul wanted to send Epaphroditus back to them. That's his hometown. But what had happened? Epaphroditus had gotten sick. How sick? Really sick. To the point of where he almost died. Here's what's true. Just because you have faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean it will always go well with you. Just because you come and you ask for the redemptive power and the healing of God, it doesn't mean it will always come. You remember what Paul said? Even if right? But Epaphroditus is there. He almost loses his life. Paul loves him. Paul cares about him. Paul's praying, and he says, God had mercy on him that I might have sorrow upon sorrow. Why would he have sorrow? Because he loved that guy. And what does he come to say? But my hope is to send him back to you as soon as I can, 
And he talks about him. He says, what should be true of Epaphroditus? What should be true of people like that? Honor such men. It means exactly what you think. Faithfulness such as this is worthy of honor. And then Paul celebrates as he was fulfilling the ministry you had for me on your behalf. But the part that I love most about this section is we just talk about what it looks like to really live as a sacrifice. Is here's what's true. When you are the sacrifice, it shows up in your life. I love the way Paul describes Epaphroditus. He says five key things about him. Five key things. The first one he says is my brother. He acknowledges the reality of Epaphroditus is a fellow follower of Jesus Christ. And because of that, here's what's true. We are in the family of God. That we don't fight to sit at God's dinner table. He invites us the same way I would never not sit at the dinner table with my daughter. We're his children. And he acknowledges, hey man, you have the same dad as I do. You are my brother in Christ. And then he calls him a fellow worker. This word, it speaks to like affectionate partnership. Like he's saying to Epaphroditus, hey Epaphroditus, the same thing that keeps me up at night, the, the burden that I have for all the churches, the same thing that keeps me up at night keeps you up too. The same reality that we exist in a world where many people, they don't know Christ and we gotta tell them the same reality that he came back from the grave. He didn't stay dead, he rose. That same reality keeps you up and you work for it. You labor. The third, he calls him a soldier. Right? There's beautiful language as Paul's writing to Timothy once about a soldier. He says, here's what's true of a soldier. Right? A civilian. A soldier does not get entangled in civilian pursuits. Their aim is to please the one who enlisted them. One of the best parts about, in, in studying this about Epaphroditus was learning the etymology of his name. Epaphroditus, you may connect with Aphrodite, right? It means belonging to Aphrodite. Romans would have called her Venus. It's literally saying, I belong to, I am a child of Aphrodite, a broken idol that could not lead to eternal life with God. His name is speaking to the reality of what he was a soldier for, that we exist in the midst of a spiritual war, that there is on one side God in heaven who's come, who has purchased humanity, pleads with them to come home, to have a relationship with him by grace through faith. He pleads with them. He leaves you and me, those of us who believe. He leaves us here to tell the world the reason he has not come back yet is because he is not slow as some count slowness, but he's patient. He desires that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Epaphroditus was not mixed up on the reality of he was a soldier, that he had a mission, he was sent from God in heaven. His life was the sacrifice, but he was on mission. And what does Paul describe? He calls him a messenger. He literally brought this message, but there's truth in Epaphroditus. He was this messenger of God as he brought this, and then Paul's gonna send him back. And he calls him a minister to my need. A minister here was just servant. Like, guys, here's what I thought about. Is that if, if we, if Springs Church, if we really embrace the reality that if you believe in Jesus Christ, we don't just live sacrificially, which is good, but we embrace the truth that we are the sacrifice. What, sh what should happen is that should show up in our life. 
what should be commonplace, not radical, biblically normal, should be that people should describe us as fellow workers, like they labor for the gospel. They labor, soldiers. They are not mixed up. They believe in the reality that, yes, they are meant to have fun, enjoy life, but while they are here, they are going to fight to fall in love with God and make much of God to others. That we are messengers. That we come and we plead with people. Our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members that don't know Christ, right? The people that you engage with at a restaurant, H-E-B, where you go, the sweet gal that served us ice cream in the middle of Peru where I had to speak to a translator and it was super awkward, we plead with all of them. There's a God in heaven who loves you. All he wants is for you to know. Believe. And what do we do? We're ministers, we're servants. And what's true of that? Men and women. That's a life that's worthy of honor. That's a life that is lived well. Who thinks of us like that? Who thinks of you like that? Like in your life, sincerely, like stop and reflect. Like who would come and say, they are my Epaphroditus. They are my Timothy. They are my Paul. Not just in like, like you help disciple them and grow them in the love of scripture, which is absolutely part of this. But in a life on life, they've given for me. Who describes us like that? That should be all of us. Because I think, too, what happens for me is I tend to think like, okay, well, there's Paul, there's Timothy, there's Epaphroditus. These are these like biblical all-stars. They're just living it out. And I looked into that. It's not true. Like the apostle Paul was an apostle, which means he was a big deal. You and I, we are not apostles, but he was called to be a sacrifice. You remember the whole premise of this book? If I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Christ. If I'm going to die, I'm going to gain. That's him saying, I'm going all in on Jesus. That's Paul. But then there's even this like almost hierarchy to it. Timothy, he wasn't an apostle, but he was an elder, right? And what was true of Timothy? He looked for the interests of Christ. He was genuinely concerned. He too was called to sacrifice. And then what's true of Epaphroditus? Epaphroditus wasn't an apostle. Epaphroditus wasn't an elder, even though I bet he was going to become one. He was just a faithful member of a local body in Philippi who they'd sent on an errand. It does not matter who you are. This is not for the spiritual elite. This isn't for the, the Billy Grahams of the world. This is for you. This is for me. This is for every follower of Jesus Christ. As he says, come. Don't just live sacrificially. You, me, we are the sacrifice. That's why I love God's word. Because you saw that through Philippians 2, where first we talked about Paul. He uses this imagery of you are, you're a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of the faith of this church. He sets this whole theme. You don't take, you give, you give it away. It's an identity statement. It's not part of you, it's all of you. And we saw Timothy. It's like this beautiful cascading truth rolled down into Timothy where you see in his life, lived out, man, there's no one like him. Why? Was he self-righteous? No, but because he had real righteousness, he cared. He put the interests of Christ first. He disciplined himself 
for the purpose of godliness. And he proved it over time. He didn't just say he was faithful, but by the power of God, he showed he was faithful. He was a slave for the gospel and he counted it a privilege. Epaphroditus, man. I think of Epaphroditus as the go anywhere, do anything. That guy would win like, uh, if you're coaching a sports team, I feel like he would win the hustle award, right? Not necessarily, and, it, and hey, I've won the hustle award once, right? Not necessarily, I'm putting that down if like that's your trophy case right now, but the hustle awards where they weren't necessarily the best at anything, but they were willing to do everything. And they did everything with an amazing mindset, an amazing attitude, why? They put the team first before themselves. That's Epaphroditus, man. Brother, worker, soldier, messenger, minister. And what's true? Honorable. Guys, we don't just live sacrificially. That's, that's part of it. That's a beautiful truth. Christians should differentiate themselves. Where other people, they give to a point of where it meets a tax break. Christians just give because God said so. Right, where other people, they do kindness in a way to where they can still protect like their own inner circle of comfort. Christians say, blow up my inner circle of comfort. God will bring me contentment in the midst of it no matter what. We do things sacrificially. But man, here's what's true. God in heaven loves you. When you live according to his way, it will go well with you. He'll bring peace and joy and happiness to your life. But the way that's gonna come is you and I realizing you are the sacrifice. I am the sacrifice. And the only way that that's made possible is we know that Jesus Christ was the sacrifice for us. That's the only way it happens. It's the only way it changes. It's the only way that you will sincerely give your heart to that mission, that call to die. It's knowing him. One of the best parts, and I'll, and I'll end with this, one of the best parts of while I was there in Peru was just some of the conversations I had with some of the different folks on staff. That was true of both, about, about half the leadership there was Americans who'd lived there two decades plus, right? And then half the leadership there was indigenous Peruvians raised up these leaders of different areas, businesses, ministries, clinics, churches. It was beautiful. But I was spending time walking through the city square one evening with the head of Peru Mission. His name's Wes Baker, tremendously faithful man. And one of the things that he did is he, he talked about what faithfulness looks like. There's areas where you feel like you're excelling and there's areas where we've got to keep growing. And he's gracious enough, he's talking with me about, about both. And that's just true of any area of ministry. And he's talking with me about both. And I can remember just sharing with him and stopping as I'm walking and thinking. The greatest miracle the greatest miracle is not that there's multiple churches trying to open a second clinic, there's microfinance, they've employed this amount of people, they've incorporated the, the generational leadership through indigenous folks there to raise up the community, not just come in and say, we know how to do it, follow us. The most miraculous thing, he'd been there for 21 years. 21 years, six kids. Family had gone, fully committed sacrificed for it. Anyone ever heard of a term called three culture kid? Or third culture kid, excuse me. I'd never heard that. It speaks to the reality of what it means to be a child of an international missionary family. 
You don't fully a part of the culture there in the local indigenous environment. You don't feel a part of, for us in America, of a local culture and indigenous here in America to where you're this third culture and you're fighting to find an identity in either place, the sense of cultural assimilation. Do you know that since he's been here, his kids, they loved it, but five of them now live back in America. For me, my parents are in Georgia. Per plane ticket, if I buy it at the right time, it costs me about 200 bucks to go see them for one ticket. For him to come see his family and for his family to see him, I think it costs anywhere from $1,200 to $1,500. His wife, supposedly, delivered like three kids in a hut. They don't live in a hut now. Like what I'm saying there is, I just sat there and I'm walking through this city square and I'm thinking to myself, you are the sacrifice. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. He does it because he loves God. God sent him and he loves the people there. You are the sacrifice. He doesn't come to tell them, here's what I can help you. He wants to raise up and see God magnified in a city where all his contemporaries back in the U.S. don't even know how to pronounce it. It's tremendously forgettable by everyone except God. He doesn't just live sacrificially. He is the sacrifice, his family, not begrudgingly, but for the joy of the Lord, for the sake of the people on mission to live as Christ and to die as gain. And here's the thing. I think we think, oh yeah, that's what it takes to be an international missionary, to move to a foreign place where you gotta go learn a language, connect, you spend two years just assimilating to the culture, building long-term relationships, connecting with people in community. It's slow, faithful, grinding work. And here's what's true, that's true. Here's what's also true. God expects the exact same thing of us here. Like the reality, if he has gone and he has put his family in another location, that is exactly what we are meant to do in New Braunfels, in Schertz, in San Marcos, in Bernie, in Seguin. Where God has planted you, you are his sacrifice. You are his missionary to the people. Poured out as a drink offering. It'd be too little if we just lived sacrificially. But because we have the love, the truth, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we live knowing we are the sacrifice. The only way it's possible is when you understand all that God sacrificed for you, he sacrificed for me. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for just the truth of your word, what, what you mean by it, what you intend through it. God, would you help me to live as a sacrifice, to not just do things sacrificially, but to be that for who I am because of what you've done in my life. Father, would you help that to be true of this church? May we be people who, who are known for just the reality of they come and they say what God says is true and they follow with fear and trepidation imperfectly after all that you intend knowing you want to lead us to life. We thank you that your son is the ultimate sacrifice. We thank you that we don't have to work our way, that you came down to us and all you ask is that we believe. Father, we believe. And would you help us to live that way? We love you. We thank you knowing that you love us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
Well, guys, one of the ways that the Springs really thinks about how do we live as a sacrifice here in this community is not just internationally, but locally. If you were here last week, you saw five of our different strategic ministry partners. One of them we've brought back today to do an informational meeting on foster and adoption. One of the things that this meeting is for is not just people who feel led to foster. It's for anyone who feels they can come around and support that and wants to join us in praying for what that looks like here at the Springs. So if you have time and you want to come, man, please come join us. Now, if you got plans and need to go, we'll do this again in the future. But whether you come or whether you go, if this is your church home or if you are a follower of Jesus, we are the sacrifice. That's not optional. It's the privilege of being biblical. But with that, man, y'all go. Y'all have a great week of worship. We'll see you next Sunday.